0: Hello and welcome to an exclusive podcast brought to you by VJ Oncology, an open access video journal that provides the healthcare community with trusted and up-to-date information in the field of oncology. Today, we're joined by three leading clinicians who discuss the use of predictive and prognostic biomarkers in breast cancer. Firstly, we spoke with Judy Garber of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, who discusses predictive and prognostic genetic testing in breast cancer, outlining who should be tested what genes should be investigated, and how these findings can guide treatment decisions.
1: Who should have genetic testing has evolved over time. Certainly anyone who will use the information, but the main criteria have been younger women, so women diagnosed under 45, regardless of family history or other features. And that's true for triple negative, but also ER positive disease. Um, Less perhaps for HER2 positive We are inclusive for everything. Um, For women under 65, so between 45 and 65, certainly if they have at least one other risk factor, a family history or a personal history of ovary, pancreas, prostate uh, cancer, then one might think about the presence of these strong predisposition genes. Um, It is, um, I mean, I don't think it's required. There have been proposals to test all women under 60 If it turns out that the Olympia trial is positive so that we might give adjuvant PARP inhibitor therapy, then anyone who would be eligible should be tested to see if they should receive the medication. So which genes to test for is a complicated discussion and there is controversy. Some people think we should restrict ourselves to the strongest Breast cancer predisposition genes like BRCA1 and 2 and PALB2, places where one might recommend bilateral mastectomies to manage contralateral risk and certainly to think about drugs like PARP inhibitors. Other people feel that we should be more comprehensive and include genes that predispose to breast and other related conditions like ovarian sometimes, colon cancer, um, to make sure that since we hope our patients will survive their breast cancer, that they will have Uh, not, we won't miss the chance to find other preventable disease and always to benefit the families. I think most people at this time will favor the use of the breast cancer genes or breast and ovarian genes, which is about eight to 12 genes. Some will want to add genes for strong predisposition to colon cancer, for example, so we don't miss anything that would be of benefit to our patients and their families.
0: Secondly, we're joined by Martine Picard of the University of Libre de Brussels, who outlines the use of genomic predictive tests for adjuvant treatment selection in ER-positive breast cancer, and highlights long term follow-up results of TaylorX, MindAct, and Rxponder.
2: At the St. Gallen Consensus Conference, I was given the task to summarize the huge amount of work that has been done with the use of genomic predictors as ways to better individualize adjuvant treatment for women with early luminal breast cancer. So hormone receptor positive HER2 negative breast cancer. So for these women, it's very obvious that uh, endocrine therapy plays a major role uh, in order to protect these women from uh, relapse. But the difficult question has always been, who needs to receive chemotherapy in addition to endocrine therapy. And um, what I think is remarkable is that uh, during the last 15 years or so, there has been a real effort at answering this question with the design of uh, large, well-powered prospective clinical trials that uh, were really designed to demonstrate the clinical utility of the genomic predictor, because that is what is very important, to demonstrate that the genomic predictor brings something in addition to the traditional clinical and pathological factors. And so I was very lucky because in uh, uh, 2020, We got uh, very striking results from uh, three large uh, precision medicine trials, uh, two of which have a quite mature follow-up, Telorix and Mindac. The median follow-up there is about nine years, which is very relevant in these luminal cancers because the risk of relapse goes beyond five years, as you know. And the latest uh, trial, the youngest one, Eric Spander was presented with a median follow-up, which is already decent, which is uh, five years. And what I think is particularly uh, striking is that there is a very strong message coming out of the three trials, in my personal opinion. And the message is that if you are high clinical risk, Using traditional criteria, clinical and pathological. And we have come up with a nice definition of a high clinical risk patient in MINDACT. So, if you are high clinical risk, but you have a low genomic signature, a favorable genomic signature, either oncotype or mama print. And if you are above the age of 50 and postmenopausal, in the three studies, there is no indication that chemotherapy is beneficial, and this is seen across the three studies. So it is seen in high-risk, no-negative patients, because in Telox it was only no-negative patients who were eligible, and it is seen in Mindact, and it is seen in Eric Sponder, which is a trial dedicated to women with one-two-three positive nodes. So the data in my opinion, are so strong that it is really time for oncologists to have the courage to change their uh, habit, you know, which has always been, there are positive notes, I need to prescribe chemotherapy. So this is no longer valid. In contrast, what the three studies very powerfully show is that this is not the case for the young women. So for the young women, across the three trials, there is a benefit from chemotherapy, highly consistent from one study to the other. So it is real. Of course, then there is the question, is it chemotherapy in itself? Is it the indirect endocrine effect of chemotherapy in young women, which is of course, of iron function suppression? This is a question of debate, but the evidence for chemotherapy is very strong. And this is what we need to share with our patients.
0: Finally, Shireen Loy from Peter McCallum Cancer Centre at the University of Melbourne, talks on how genomics can inform treatment approaches in triple negative breast cancer. We
3: know that um, germline status, particularly BRCA1 and 2, is important and that guides treatment with regards to PARP inhibition. We know that probably somatic alterations in um, HR genes or homologous recombination-related genes such as BRCA1 or 2 or other DNA damage repair genes such as PALB2 will probably also predict um, response to PUP inhibition and other agents that target that pathway. So that's the first seg- segment of TMVC that people should be looking for. Um, secondly, there's some data with regards to pf kinase alterations and P10 and AKT. So again, sequencing of the patient's tumour is really important. Um, and there's probably a, a scattering of other rarer mutations such as HER2 mutations, for example. Um, AKT1 mutations that will be important also for these patients. There are trials ongoing, but so far the early data looks great. And then there are some new agents now which are coming out, such as the antibody conjugates, conjugates, so it's important to also know what the HER2-IHC status of these patients are, so plus one, plus two, because there are trials for these patients. So, so I think that's also important. And then finally, you know, pd one and TIL is also important for these patients as another biomarker. But certainly we are encouraging sequencing or molecular sequencing of the tumour and or plasma for all patients that recur with triple negative breast cancer, you do not want to miss the BRCA1 or 2 mutation, for example, and you may find other things. Very rarely you might pick up some things such as mismatch repair, um, MM um, status, which is potentially amenable to pd one pdl one agents. Um, and, you know, if we don't find anything for some patients, we are doing whole genome sequencing because we could find potentially mutational signatures, which may also be helpful, such as signature three, which could potentially um, suggest responsiveness to PARP inhibitors for example Um, so this is obviously a new world that we're in but we strongly encourage people if they can access um, molecular sequencing um, for their tumours when they relapse.
0: Thanks for listening if you have found this podcast useful please leave a review and subscribe on your favourite podcast app including Apple, Spotify and Podbean so we can continue to deliver expert-led content to you. Follow us on Twitter at VJ Oncology and join in the conversation. And finally, don't forget to visit vjoncology.com for all the latest updates in the field.